But I, I did feel like I wanted to share with you all this morning about conditional love. This is something that's a testimony of mine. And I feel like it's going to help somebody in here. Um, when, G, when Jessica was, sometimes I confuse them, Jesus, Jessica. And so, but uh, when Jessica was up here sharing about, hey, you just, you, you speak out what the truth is. And so how do you bring yourself to death on the cross where you, you declare what Jesus has done is that I have died and the life I live is now in Jesus Christ. I have, I, I have the new man. And so part of what my journey was, even with Jessica, when we were dating, is I would feel one day I would just be like, man, she's better than sliced bread. She's beautiful. She's funny. And I could see myself marrying her. And then the, ne the very next day I'd be like, She's kind of, you know, like her jokes wouldn't be funny to me. She wouldn't look be as attractive. And she, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't want to. And then the next day, but whoo, wow. She put some. I had to stop. I was about to say something I probably couldn't have said. So anyways, like you just. <laughs> I would sop her up with a biscuit. That's that's safe. All right. So, yeah. And then the, and then the next day I would be like. I don't know. And so I was confused. And what ended up happening is I, had, I was, the Lord showed me that I had conditional love in my heart. And so like the moment, you know, if, you know, Jessica had a blemish or she had something out of place, I was like, hmm, I just, you start, what conditional love is, is when things aren't going great, you pull back. You get, you get out of the relationship or you pull back. And some of you may have experienced that growing up where if you, maybe if you messed up, like one of your parents, with, you felt like they took away love from you or maybe they wouldn't speak to you for a few days or whatever the case may be, or they wouldn't forgive you. And, and it's, this, it's this withdrawing of love and it's this conditional thing like X, Y, and Z got to be lined up for me to love you. And so I got breakthrough in our, while we were dating with that, and it enabled me where my, my feelings for Jessica leveled out. And I, was, I knew enough in my heart, I was like, this is the woman I want to marry. And that's, that's the feelings that, that stayed, was the ones that, hey, I want to be with this woman. But there's also the part where you have to keep your healing, which is the renewing of your mind. And so this... These old roots want to spring back up to life. It says in, in uh, Galatians, it says, be aware of that bitter root that springs up back to life. And so those bitter roots will try to, they don't really have any life. It's like uh, they don't have a, whole, a big root, but they're trying to show a little bit of, of fruit. But they, don't, they actually really don't have a, a root anymore. But if you're like, oh, man. I guess I can't pull you up out of the ground, man. You're right there. Then you're going to let that thing continue to grow. And so the bitter roots that even that you've dealt with, you've got to keep laying them down until it, it, it's completely dead. And so Jessica and I get married, and uh, I go through, like, the first month of marriage, which isn't a great time for conditional love to come back. I had these feelings of, like, oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And 
but I knew I'd been healed. And we had good enough teachers to tell us, it's like, that thing's going to try to come back. You better, you got to declare it dead. And so for three weeks, I just had to be like, conditional love is dead. Conditional love is dead. Conditional love is dead. Feeling didn't go away for three weeks, but I declared it. And then it broke, it broke off. And then it reared its head maybe a few months later, and then it lasted like five days. It reared its head again. You're dead. Conditional love, you're dead. You have no part of me. One day. And then pretty soon, it rarely ever happens anymore. But even if I do feel the hint of it, I was like, oh, that's conditional love. trying to go. Stay, de stay dead. And it's got to stay dead. And so I think there's some of you right here, you've been healed. But you got to keep your healing. You gotta, you've got to declare it, speak to that thing. It's like, well, I thought I dealt with this. Yeah, you did. And then you got to tell it to die that it's dead because of what Jesus has done. And so to you, that it, the devil would love to trick you into thinking you still got the same old problem. <laughs> He'd love you to fight that same, the old battle again that's already been won. And so he, the Lord wants you to know that even it's, it really doesn't have any root anymore. Jesus has laid the ax to the root, and it doesn't have any life, only what you give it. So this morning, I want to talk about how to access the kingdom of heaven. You know, and uh, this is one of those sermons where if I had heard this maybe 10 years ago, I'd have been like, finally, like, I'm going to get a formula to access the kingdom. If I do one, two, and three, no matter what, I'll get the kingdom. And I remember a guy named James Maloney, he was, he was preaching this. He's like, how to get the spirit of breakthrough? And I was like, yeah. What is it? Tell me, James. I mean, I see it operating. You tell me. And he's just, and his whole sermon was like, you, you got to have more of the Holy Spirit. I was like, what? I knew that. I thought you were like something else besides the gospel. That's what we, I mean, that's really what we're thinking. You know, it's like. <laughs> um, so this is kind of one of those sermons. This, you, you already know this probably. But we're going we're gonna to dive in. But how to access the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is where we're camping out, is what it means to be poor in spirit. Because this is the key. This is access to the kingdom of heaven, is being poor in spirit. Uh, that word blessed can be translated as blissful. Blissful are the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I wanna, that's, that's what I want. I want to be uh, full of bliss. I mean, bliss, I just, when I, when I hear the word bliss, I just imagine people like kicking their heels and dancing, and they're just like, what's up, man? Life is good. Jesus is good. And, you know, it's, and it's this, irrepressible joy and so this irrepressible joy this bliss comes through being poor in spirit so we need to figure out like how do we how do we grow in being poor in spirit so first of all being poor just means simply that you're lacking in an area that you're lacking in finances you're lacking in wisdom you're lacking in understanding or the list goes on and on and on. It just means that you're lacking. 
Okay, so spiritually, we're all lacking and we're in desperate need. Psalm uh, 51, David recognized this. He said, Lord, I've been a sinner from birth. <laughs> from the moment my mother conceived me, you know, we have our little babies and they're he's just like, man, this, is, this child's an angel. And then they, they start growing a little bit. And he's like, man, this, this is a little flesh creature too. This is a little flesh creature. No. Give it to me. That's mine. And so, you know, sometimes we're those little flesh creatures where we throw tantrums. How many of y'all still throw tantrums? I mean, just be honest. You know, it happens to the best of us, okay? You know, sometimes I've apologized to my kids for that. I was like, listen, dad was throwing a tantrum. It happens because you, you, maybe your kid's throwing a tantrum, and you're like, you guess what? I'm going to throw a bigger tantrum to make you stop. That's what parents do. You better stop it right now. Come on. Come. And the kids, you know, they're like, you just, you, all you can, the only reason that works because you can throw a bigger tantrum than they can. And so it's, but, so that flesh creature in all of us has to die, but it's, it's from birth, no matter how cute a baby may be. Psalm 53, one through three says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. Iniquity, so in the Old Testament, there's uh, three different types of evil. Number one, you have sin. Okay, so you have sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin is whenever, like I throw a tantrum. Like I didn't plan on throwing a tantrum today, but something triggered my flesh, and I'm just like, and I'm like, man, forgive me. I'm sorry about that. I didn't want to do that, but it happened. I sinned, all right? Transgression is whenever I'm making a plan to sin. So I'm, I'm figuring out a way I can cheat this guy out some money or I can break into this house or I can promote myself over this guy, whatever it means. It's a plan to sin. And then iniquity is when you actually twist the truth and call evil good and good evil. Iniquity means perversion. You twist. You're trying to recreate laws of God or say that there's not some laws of God. And so it's iniquity is calling evil good, calling what God calls evil. I mean, like, no, Lord, that's good. Actually, they're probably not addressing the Lord if they're trying to do that. And so it says they are corrupt doing abominable iniquity. And there's none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The Lord, Holy Spirit spoke this scripture to me really loudly one time when I was at a, a relative's uh, graduation. They were graduating from 
uh, like massage therapy school, and it was kind of like a real new agey ceremony. And this was uh, Jessica and I were newly married, but I'm in, I'm sitting in the ceremony. It's like this is this is like godless. Can't believe they're doing this. This is so godless. And Holy Spirit says, "We all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way." Mine just looked different. And so it was, and the Lord's just like, listen, there's nobody, there's nobody who seeks after me. And, and, and uh, that's, that's part of, so it, when you realize that, it places even a more gratefulness on the fact that Jesus came and found you. He sought you out. He even gave you the grace to, to choose him. That's why, that's why in the New Testament, any talk about being chosen by God is referencing that. It's just like, you've, there's even grace to choose God. So they've all fallen away. Together they've become corrupt. And there's no one who does good, not even one. And that's kind of like the, uh, the plague on the, uh, you know, I'll use America, for example, is the plague of America right now is self-righteousness. And it, it, it comes across in the political forum. It comes across in just about every circle of life. But any form of self-righteousness is religion. It's pharisaical. Because if you, you will ultimately, when you're trying to be righteous in your own strength, you will ultimately end up a hypocrite. When you try to be righteous in your own strength, you will be a hypocrite because you can't do it. You will fail. So the Bible warns that there's not good, that it is not good to not accurately see our spiritual condition apart from Christ. All right. So identity, I tell people, it's like a, it's a you know, double-faced coin. You know, you have one side of it is who you are apart from Jesus. And then you have the other side is who you are in Jesus. You've got to realize both of them. You've got to have both, both sides of those coins because you need to appreciate what you've been saved from. <laughs> I'm going to read, uh, this is the letter in Revelation 3 to the Laodicean church. And interestingly enough, Laodicea means human rights or self-righteousness. And Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you rather be that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So, um, in Laodicea, they had water ran from the mountains that was like ice cold and refreshing, and it would come into that city. And they also had like hot springs. Both of them were useful. Both of them were very helpful and, and were good. But the, and so Jesus is, he's making a distinction. It's like that cold water is amazing. The hot springs are amazing. Lukewarm is not really good for anything. And so this is, this is why he's using that comparison. I wish that you're either hot 
or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And this is um, the spitting out of your mouth. It's just like a, the, the hardest of rebukes. Like when, in that culture, if you were really wanting to rebuke somebody and let them know they were wrong, you. And so Jesus is trying to shake the Laodicean church back into to being sober. Like, listen, you're lukewarm. You got to wake up. You're not hot or cold. You're not good for anything right now. And so he's, he's re- just giving them a really harsh rebuke. And this is the reason why, because this is what they're saying. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from a gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So this is, the, Jesus loves the Laodicean church. That's why he's saying this to them. And they, they're rich, they're prospering, but, he's, but they've forgotten Jesus. <laughs> they've left Jesus behind. They have other lovers. They have old flames. They, and, and Jesus is, is admonishing them, rebuking them. He's like, you need to come back to me because all this stuff is temporary. Without me, you're, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You, you can't see. Like we, it's, you're like, a, I mean, we're newborn babes. I mean, just imagine the helplessness of a newborn babe. That's how we are without Jesus. So some characteristics, this, this is not an exhaustive list, but just a few things that came to my mind as I was preparing this. When you're poor in spirit, you're thankful for the little things. Proverbs 27, 7 says, a sated man or a satisfied man loathes honey, hates honey. But to a famished man, any bitter thing is sweet. Imagine that level of hunger and thankfulness in your life. Where you can like something horrible or bad or tough or is happening in your life and you're just like, thank you, God. You're just you're turning me into more like Jesus. Thank you. You're God, you're you're that's what turning any bitter thing and making it taste sweet is like. Any bitter thing in your life, when you're hungry and you're thankful, it God makes it sweet. And uh like a couple years ago, I had this picture of um, this bear eating. Uh, it was, I can't. It was something bitter. I can't remember. But and I, and that verse came to my mind. And, and I, the German phrase I took German in high school, and it said "Ich habe Bärenhunger," which means I have I'm as hungry as a bear. And that word, I was I saw that picture. I heard "Ich habe Bärenhunger," and the Lord just said. I want you to be so hungry that any bitter thing is sweet. And I was like, Lord, I want that too. I can't do it by myself. <laughs> Make any bitter thing sweet to me. 
And that comes from Romans 8, 28. We know that those who love God, he will work it out for their good. He works all things for the good to those who love him. Now, the key is you, you do have to love him. If you're not seeking God, it's not going to turn. It's not, the, the bitter thing may stay bitter. But you do have to love God and give it to him. Because I mean, how many of y'all know people that are just living in bitterness? It's not working out for their good. You got to give it to God. You got you to love God. Uh, secondly, you got to understand your depravity. This is what we read in Psalm 51. You just got to understand who you are apart from Jesus. Thirdly, you do not despise small beginnings. Zechariah 4.10 says, who is this that is despising the day of small beginnings? And Zechariah and Haggai, they're both, they're books both about the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. And they were, it was a sad situation because prior to that, uh, and the Babylonians had exported the Jews to Babylon, and I may be getting the dates wrong, 780. And then the Persian Medes came and got the rest of the Jews in 586 B.C., and while they were gone, the enemy just desolated the land, tore down the temple, Solomon's temple, like which was to this day the most expensive building ever made if you update the currency. So they come back, Solomon's temple where God's presence dwelt was gone, so it basically was like God's not here. That's how that's the way they thought. And they were Nehemiah and Others were given the commission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they sent others to start rebuilding the temple. And in Haggai, you remember, it says, that I'm, it says uh, you know, this temple, God speaking to Haggai, he says, I declare to you this temple is going to have greater glory than the former temple. And it's not because it's got gold and jewels and ivory and all that. It's because God's presence will truly dwell there. But he was actually even foreshadowing the church. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be more glory on us. But we do not despise this day of small beginnings. The temple just didn't look that great as they're rebuilding it. They're like, man, this is not even close to Solomon's temple. And God's like, that's not what makes it glorious. I'm what makes it glorious. Another fourth one is there's no need for titles or fame. Jesus for, you know, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of the most, uh, I just, I don't want to call it peculiar, but things about Jesus. But one of the things I love about Jesus that is just so opposite of the world's ways is that how many times did Jesus heal somebody? And he's like, don't tell anybody. As opposed to. Somebody's like, hey, I'm going to go tell the whole, this whole town. He's like, all right, well, make sure, like, okay, I'm going to have a conference. I'm going to have a healing conference. Jesus wouldn't, there's nothing wrong with healing conferences. Don't get me wrong. We need those because we need to be equipped. But what I'm saying is Jesus was, there was even times where he's like, don't tell anybody. I was like, wasn't that what you came for? You know, I'm just being honest. It's like, but there was a time, like, Jesus understood that, that, that there's, you know, and it's part of like, do you understand that there's time in God's life that he can't reveal everything about himself to you or else you would explode? There's times, what happened to John 
when he saw the Lord in his glory, I fell like a dead man. What happened to Daniel when he just saw the angel of the Lord? He grew weak and fainted. You can't stand in the glory of the Lord. Like, that's why we're going to have resurrected bodies so you can actually withstand the glory of the Lord. Because this carnal body can't take it. That's in the next slide. So being poor in spirit means you're hungry for God. Psalm 107, verses 9 and then 35 through 37. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water, and there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. This is my dream for Athens. That this would be a city of hungry people where God's presence would dwell. That we establish an inhabited city of believers, like sold out believers for Jesus, and a whole city is transformed from the, every mountain, from the government, education, media, uh, church, everything, arts and entertainment. That there is a total transformation that all the poverty stricken areas, I'm telling you, in revival, when God comes and there's revival, it brings prosperity because. First, the first thing that has to happen is people's hearts have to turn to Jesus. And when your, your heart can handle prosperity, he gives it. And so the, Jesus has to come first for, to even maintain prosperity in a healthy way, in a way that gives to others, in a way that seeks to bless others and not think about ourselves. But he's going to give this, he's going to give Athens to hungry people. And I'm raising my hand for that. Anybody else want to raise their hand? He's giving Athens to hungry people. Francis Frangipan, if you don't know who he is, go look him up. This dude's one of my favorites. He's one of those guys that's his mentor. You know, you have mentors that you've never met. This is one of those guys for me. But he, uh, he was telling this story about how he's got this, you know, little dog that stays in the house most of the time. But they, uh, dog, the, the backyard was like this 30 by 30 foot area that was fenced in. And that was this dog, Sophie's, that was her place. She owned that yard, even though she, you know, she was just a 20 pound dog. And uh, they would take stale bread and. You know, they give her, she, Sophie loved human food, and they give her stale bread, and they, they went out there and tossed it to her when she was out there, out back sometimes. And one time, Francis's wife was throwing out the stale bread, and some of it went over the fence. And Sophie wanted that, she wanted that stale bread. And there was a little gap under the fence. And he said, he just, she just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And she, now this was, her safe place was that 30 by 30 foot fenced in part in the backyard. But she got in there, she got to the bread and she got back. And he was just, he, he said, the Lord spoke to him and he just said, are you willing to get uncomfortable <laughs> to get outside of your fences? <laughs> but what drove Sophie to the stale bread? She was hungry. She was hungry. And so 
that's why, you know, even as we've been praying, it's like spiritual hunger is, is the, it's, it's where it all starts. It's what's going to drive you outside of your boxes, your fences. It's what's, it's what's going to, we're going to be so hungry for God that we're, it, the, uh, laying down our, our carnal ways is, is just, it's going to be worth it. it doesn't, it's not even going to seem like a sacrifice. Jason Upton has this, this song, it says, this is no sacrifice, here's my life. And that's, like, when you, when you see Jesus, you're like, yeah, sure, have my life. This, this isn't compared to what I'm getting back. And so that's where it all starts with hunger. Ecclesiastes 9, this is one of my favorites as well. There is a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there is found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that man, that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. And the words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So he, here's this poor wise man that saved the city. Jesus, he's that poor wise man. He came to save and, and people are like, no, I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. He obviously had his, his handful of people that listened to him. But he came despised and rejected. Rejected by the builders, rejected by the people in charge. Second Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus made himself poor that we might have everything that he has, that we might be rich. That's, all, that's what Philippians 2 talks about. Jesus came in the form of a servant. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself obedient, even obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so he, he emptied himself and became poor that we might become rich. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. I love that one. So what's this telling us about wisdom? It's a weapon of war. <laughs> when Joshua, right before Moses died, he was commissioning Joshua to take the reins and to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 33 or 34, verse 6, he, Moses imparts something to Joshua. Now, I would have thought it would have been like spirit of courage, the spirit of the warrior spirit. It says Moses imparted to Joshua the spirit of wisdom before he was about to go into war and take the promised land against all these giants, all these enemies. And I just, it's, it's another, because what wisdom is, is wisdom's going to sit back and wait on the warrior king. You can be bold and you can be courageous, but if it's not in step with the Lord, you're going to get your head cut off. 
And so it's, you've got to, wisdom is listening to the one who has wisdom. And so wisdom is simply that you actually have a listening heart, which is what Solomon asked for. First Kings chapter four, he said, God, I ask that you give me a listening heart. And then God said, because you've asked this, I want to give you riches as well. <laughs> Uh, I turned it off. I'm going to get my phone because I got on. So how do we become poor in spirit? I want to make sure I covered it, yeah. We become poor in spirit through the secret place. So in the secret place, we come into the presence of God to die to ourselves because no flesh can stand before the Lord and live. <laughs> uh, Exodus thirty-three twenty says, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Uh, Andrew Murray says that nothing but the presence of God can reveal and expel ourself. So when you get in God's presence, your old man starts being burned away. <laughs> because no flesh can live in his presence. Only the, only the new Travis, only the new Jessica, only the new Anne can stand in his presence. Because you're going to stand in the light of God, right? And the light will expose things. And it's because it's not for the purpose of punishment. It's for the purpose of righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the, that's the end game for the Lord for us. As God's presence and light increase in your life, more of what is not God gets exposed. Now think about Paul. I mean, who is, might be considered behind Jesus, you know, the, the next most spiritual man that ever lived, if you know you want to put it in that way. When Paul first started writing letters to the church, he said, he opened it up with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He may not have used, you know, spoke it that way, but then his later letters, this is how he opened up. He was like, Paul, bondservant of Christ. So what happened to Paul? As he matured, he actually grew in his poorness of spirit. As Paul came to know the Lord more, he realized how much even more he, he needed the Lord. And so it's like that's even a sign of maturity is your dependence upon the Lord. It's, it's not that you can do all these things on your own. It's, it's that you're dependent upon the Lord and you, and you see that and you recognize it. If you feel like you're in a time of exposure right now, take heart because God is increasing the manifestation of his presence and light in you. So if you're feeling you're being exposed and you're like, you see these things in your life that, that need to be taken to the cross, these sins, I want you to take heart because it means God's active in your life. Like he's doing a work in you. He's, he's up to something good. And that's not the end. 
That's not where it ends. The cross is not where it ends. The resurrection is where it ends. Ascension is where it ends. And so you, you, get, to, you get to live from heavenly places even more once you go through that process with God. As God's presence increases in the earth, Isaiah 60, Proverbs 4.18. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the uh, first light of dawn increasing as the day goes on. Uh, as God's presence increases in the earth, more carnality in us will have to die if we wish to continue walking with God. So when we start crying out for revival, um, that's why there's a lot of repentance, right? Because <laughs> God's presence is here, and we're like seeing things that need to be taken to the cross. And why? And and so it's something that you know when we pray for revival, we have to know what we're asking. How many of y'all have ever seen that old movie called UHF? Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. Man, you're the only one. Uh, Keaton. So this little boy is on this game show, and he won a prize, and they say, you get to drink from the fire hose. And they put him up in front of a fire hose, and they blast it, and the kid flies back. Like That's like what revival is going to be like. Hey, you get to drink from the fire hose. You're like, yeah, yeah, I want it. You know, and so I was talking with Fernando. He says, you know, we're just like standing. We're standing in the river about, you know, ankle deep. But when God pours out revival, it's going to be like Niagara Falls. The volume of water, you can't keep up with it. And he, he says it's just what, what would take 10 or 15 years happens in a day. So, like, imagine a little, a little stream, a little brook, the volume of water that comes through it in 15 years. The total volume of water can be matched by Niagara Falls in one day or less. That's what revival is going to be like. Because he's going to pour out his spirit. He's not going to trickle his spirit out. He's going to pour it out. The secret place is the place where you tell God your secrets. That's the key to the secret place. Now you, come, you don't come to the secret place like with it all figured out with the Lord. God, we're going, you know, it's, you come to him with your insecurities. You come to him with your, your doubts. You're, you come to him in honesty. And that's where he meets you, right? Because in your weakness, his strength is perfected. God's not ashamed of those things. He's not ashamed that you have doubts. He's not ashamed that you have weakness. He's not ashamed that, uh, you know, you, you feel incapable or whatnot. He, know, he knows that. That's why he says don't trust in yourself. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. Don't believe you. Believe me. He knows all that. And then part of the play, part of getting free, you know, is you find uh, the next step in that is you know Andrew Murray. Also, I'm gonna be quoting a lot of Andrew Murray, and I'm gonna putting a plug in for him. But anyways, Andrew Murray says you're only as humble before God as you are before men. And so. God, some of y'all might know this about me, but I was, God delivered me from pornography to seven to 23. After 23, never looked at it again. But I would, early and on in our marriage, I would have pornographic dreams. 
Now, I could go to, I was telling God about this. I was like, God, I don't want this. But, you know, your dreams, you don't have a whole lot of control over, right? And so I was like, I don't want to dream this. I don't want to have these dreams at all. And the Lord said, uh, you need to tell Jessica, because she has the most authority to pray for you. I was like, well, that's a risk. <laughs> you know, and um, but what happened is I, I, I confessed it to Jessica, and I, and I said, will you pray for me? And I actually built trust with her, and it got rid of the dreams. But God, I had to humble myself before Jessica to experience the deliverance of God, right? Because that's what he told me to do. Now, there's going to be times where he'll just deliver you. He just puts his finger on you. He's like, yeah, I just want to get rid of that. Then there's going to be other times where he's like, you need to confess. You need to get this in the light with somebody. Romans 13, when you get things in the light, when they're not hidden in darkness, you get those secrets in the light, guess what happens? You get an armor of light that surrounds that light. Getting in the light protects you. Romans 13 talks about that. It says, we have armor of light. And so when I get things and I'm honest and I get them on the table and I'm not fudging, I'm not skirting around the truth, I'm not beating around the bush, and I just lay it out there, hey, this is what it is, God gets to invade those, those places. But it takes being poor in spirit. You're like, I just want God to come in more than than my reputation. I want God to come in more than me being embarrassed. I want God to come in because I just, I don't know about you, I don't want anything, I don't like the idea of something controlling me other than Jesus. Vulnerability is the bridge to connection. This is what I'm talking about. You want to get connected with God, you got to be vulnerable with him. You want to be connected with people, you got to be vulnerable with them. People don't connect with people who are, who are strong all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, le That's not what le actually leadership is. Leadership, which I believe in, to one degree and another we're all called to, is that you're vulnerable. You show your weakness. And yet you have hope to move to move forward out of that place. You know what I'm saying? You give people hope to move out of that. It's not that you got it all together, but you're providing hope to move away from what's holding people back. But it takes vulnerability. It takes transparency, and that's the bridge to connection. I don't know why that's yellow, but here's here's the path to the higher life. Down, lower down, just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place. So the moment God finds men abased and empty, his glory and power flow, flow in to exalt and to bless. So there's a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. That I encourage every single person here to read that book. It's not very big, but it is it's, uh, life-changing. It's just called Humility by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray, again, from Humility, he says, not to be occupied with thy sin, but to be occupied with God brings deliverance from self. The truth is this. 
pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. In heaven and earth, pride, self-exaltation, is the gate and the birth and the curse of hell. I'll read it again. In heaven and earth, pride, self-exaltation, is the gate and the birth and the curse of hell. Because who exalted himself in heaven? The devil, Lucifer. If we follow that model on earth, we suffer the same fate as him. Hell wasn't created. I tell you that because I think it's a picture we have to get rid of. For some reason, American Christians think of it this way, at least I did, is that hell is this place where the devil is just having a good time torturing people. Hell was created for the devil. And, and the people that follow him go to his destination. And so he's going to be in torment. He's not, he's not administering torment. He's in torment when he gets cast into the, the lake of fire for all of eternity. That's why, that's why John the Baptist said, he who comes after me is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and not ice water, but with fire. Because what is, the devil hates fire. And actually, if a demon, if you've ever felt a demon manifest, it's cold. The devil doesn't like fire. That's why we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So how to cultivate poorness of spirit? First, just spend time in secret with God. You enter in with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of those really simple things that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just, like if, if all you did was just give thanks all day, like a, you're going to be sitting in heavenly places. You're going to be seeing from a heavenly perspective. You got to get it through the filter just uh, right. Why is, you know, Thanksgiving recognizes, so what Thanksgiving does is it puts you in that poorness of spirit place. Because if you're, if you're giving thanks for something, it means I've received something. I don't have it for my, I didn't create it myself. I'm actually receiving something. So that's what Thanksgiving does is it, it puts you in a place of, hey, I'm in need, and, you're, and I'm getting blessed. I'm not give, being given things that I don't have myself. Thank you, God. Secondly, you eat the word of God. You, we've got to eat the flesh of Jesus. He is the word of God. We eat the flesh of Jesus and partake of his DNA and nature. So we, the, the word of God, this has to become part of our daily diet, you know. You know, some people are different. They can read like 10 chapters a day, and that's, some people, they got to read like five verses and just dissect, you know, digest it. and die. It doesn't matter. Just eat the word. And when you eat the word, when you eat the word of God, the word of God's nature, the word of God's DNA is going is to be expressed even more through you. It's going to change you. Peter said we're partakers of the, his divine nature through his great and precious promises which come through his word. Next, we ask Holy Spirit for a bad case of the wants. How many of y'all remember Ert Russell, who was a football coach at UGA? He was the defensive coordinator. 
This guy was a master motivator. I mean, I, I was watching videos of him just to do a little research. I was like, man, I'm going to lace him up for that guy, man. But he said this. He's like, you want to know what? He's like, this is the heart of a champion. Or this, you know, this is the makeup of a champion. He says, you got to have a great attitude, a big heart, and a bad case of the wants. I was like, Lord, I love that. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm running with that. That's kingdom principles. Good attitude, big heart, bad case of the wants. You got to be hungry. You got to have a bad case of the wants. I prayed that. Lord, I want a bad case of the wants. And then you invite Holy Spirit to excavate your heart of just all carnal ways. And this isn't something you got to try to make happen on your own. He'll highlight it. You just need to respond and not ignore it. And it's the little nudges. It's the little nudges, you know, um, and things that may seem religious. I talked about this a couple of days, but Holy Spirit may ask you to, to lay down things that are actually permissible. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's, it's not wrong to necessarily do something. But he, for you, he may be asking you to lay down this thing that's even permissible by the word of God. It's, it's about you and the Holy Spirit, but you've got to just, you need to obey when he, does, when he nudges us that way.